Hey, welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Check us out on the web at missiodeschicago.com. So we're starting in Genesis 45. And to set up this, this passage of scripture, this is the story of Joseph. And Joseph is this amazing story of his life that feels like it should be in a movie. I mean, his, his family decides to conspire to kill him because they are jealous of who he is. And his father has just made it known that, <clears throat> everybody, I want to let you know, this is my favorite. Anybody have a favorite in their family? Anybody? I know it's, it can be hard to admit, especially if you are the favorite. But uh, <laughs> no, no favorites in my family. Uh, Joseph was a favorite in his family, and we saw, Brian talked about last week, how there was this pattern of deception and favoritism that traveled not just in uh, Jacob, who was Joseph's father, but also in Isaac and also in Abraham. So Abraham lies about his wife being his sister. Then here comes along Isaac. Isaac does the same thing, lies about his wife being his sister. And it just shows this pattern of destructive um, deception that's going through his family. But as we know, no matter what's going on in our families, guess who already redeemed it? Jesus. He already redeemed it. So we have to keep this in mind when we're talking about breaking the power of the past. We're looking at our past through a different lens. We're looking at it through the lens of Jesus, the Savior, the crucified Messiah has already redeemed it. It is like watching a Netflix season and you watch the last episode first. It makes you look at what you're seeing with a different lens, with an understanding that it's all working out. And it's all working out for your good, how Jesus has placed us in another family. So why is it that Joseph was even under this deception of his brothers, um, not liking who he was. He was a favorite in the family, and the dad is like, I'm buying this one gifts. Why was he the favorite? He was the favorite because he came from the favorite wife. Who was the favorite wife? The favorite wife was Rachel. And this story just like, the more you open it up, it's like Pandora's box. It just goes back and back and back. So, but Jacob you know, he saw Rachel at a well, and he wept. She was so beautiful. Like, she fine. Like, <laughs> he wept. Like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> he weeps. This is the woman he wants. He goes to her father. Like, this is what I want to marry Rachel. She bad. I need her. It is, Laban is like, look, look, I'll tell you what you do. Work for me for seven years, and you can have Rachel. And Hobie's like, whatever. I don't care. I'm in love. And it says in the Bible that he was so in love that those seven years seemed like a moment. Like that's, that's floating through the clouds right there. Seemed but a moment. What did Laban do? On the wedding night, he switches her with her older sister. And he, he sleeps with her older sister. Like that's some crazy deception. And he says, um, Jacob is like, what are you, come on, man, what are you doing? He's like, well, you know, it's our tradition that we can't marry the younger before the older, so you have to work another seven years for Rachel. 
works another seven years. Wages get changed a million times. This is a deception that's kind of in the foundation of this family that Jacob is, is growing. And um, even as he leaves his brother, comes there, finds his wife, then he begins to deceive Laban by figuring out how to get the best sheep and make them his. So as we see, like Joseph is, he's existing at a time where all this has come behind him. All these people in his life have tried to cheat, deceive, steal, to make their way in life. And Joseph is like, I'm just a dreamer. What, what are people doing all this stuff with? Father buys him a coat. This coat may be made of cloth, but it may feel like it's made of chains. Many of us have had similar garments placed on us. As children, as adults, expectations good or bad. Joseph was the favorite. Everybody loved Joseph, it seems. His, brother ha his brothers hated him because his dad is like, hey, Joseph and Benjamin came from the wife that I loved, so I just, I worked 14 years for her, you know? Like, I really love Rachel all this time, so I'm really gonna love her children and uh, her brothers who are from an assortment of concubines and other wives were very, very jealous as one could imagine. And Joseph, in his youthful arrogance, rubbed it in their face, unknowingly, being this dreamer. You know what? We're going to kill Joseph. Judah's like, come on, man, don't kill him. Let's just throw him in a pit. They put him in a pit, and he's sold into slavery in Egypt. So if this was... Uh, a different place. This would be from the pit to the palace. That's how this message preaches of Joseph going through all this struggle and he's in a pit. God is teaching him in the midst of everything that's going on. All the while his father has famous for giving him this coat of many colors. But it becomes like chain mail. It becomes a heaviness that he can't even bear upon. Many of us, many of us in our lives have borne the same kind of things, the expectations. And sometimes they take the form of being never and always statements. These messages that are, you are, this is, you're never going to be able to do this. Why? Maybe your father never could do this. He could never bring himself to leave this town. Your father could never fix anything. And these start to become these coats of expectations and these words that weigh us down as we move through life. Or you always do this. You always are getting angry. You're always drinking. You're always doing. And as kids, we hear this and take this in. And it's these series of messages that seem to not have any way to be counteracted. Although at the end of the movie is Jesus replacing all of those messages and replacing that heavy garment with a garment of praise and breaking those chains in our life. And we know Joseph goes into Egypt, experiences favor in Potiphar's house. A woman lies on him. Joseph is still a little bit arrogant. He's like, nothing happens in this house without me knowing. And she's like, oh, really? <laughs> Sets him up, gets him put into prison 
for 10 to 13 years, he is put back in prison after he is gone from the pit, being nearly dead. And in prison, he meets the baker and the cupbearer, interprets their dreams, and then the pharaoh has a dream that he can't interpret, and Joseph is there right on time. Through everything that has happened, it is God still working in the midst of his hard, these hard times to bring his destiny into line. And we know that Joseph is made second in the kingdom only below Pharaoh. And who comes one day looking for help from a famine but his brothers? And they don't know who he is. So that sets up the context of 45, starting at verse 12. And behold, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. So you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and of all that you have seen. And you shall hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck. Moreover, he kissed all of his brothers and wept over them. After that, his brothers talked with him. This is the process of Joseph saying who he is. It's me this whole time. They're like, brother's like, oh, crap. <laughs> Hobie has risen from the grave. And not just risen from the grave, but like he's become the man in Egypt. And Joseph in the scriptures takes on a type of Christ. This rising from obscurity into one to where God can use him to shield his people from the famine and to protect his line greater than he could if he stayed where he was. We see this happening all that happens with Moses. God plucks him out of his line and he's seeming to be destined to be eaten by crocodiles in the Nile. But no, it's God protecting his line in Egypt. This place where even Jesus went to escape persecution. And lo and behold, it's Joseph. He weeps. He's forgotten. Maybe he hasn't forgotten, but he's forgiven. He's forgiven his brothers for the way that they've treated him and the way they've cast him aside needlessly. Like that, that's amazing. That's wonderful. The power of letting go. The power of despite the heaviness of walking around with your families, um, those words, even the, the amazing things that our parents have, have provided for us, but the things that weigh on us are not even the messages that Jesus has given us by saying, you are my joy, you are my beloved, you are so lovely, so amazing. You are my sunshine. On a day like this when you really need sunshine. These are the messages he's given him. He's saying, I forgive him. To have all the power in the world 
to completely wipe out his family line, yet and still there was this generosity shown to his family. And he's weeping and hugging and kissing them. But his brothers haven't removed that garment yet, so they don't believe they're really forgiven. And in chapter 50, Genesis 50 and 15, and I'll read through 21, this is right after Jacob has died, so Joseph welcomes everyone into Egypt and says, come on down, I got a place for you, I'm going to provide for you and your children, you're not going to want for anything. And a short time after that, Jacob dies, and his brothers go, oh, man, Jacob is gone. He really, really loved Jacob. Us, he's eh, a little iffy on. So we need to go back and check with him and see that he actually mean what he said. And in 50 and 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil for which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph saying, before your father died, he commanded saying, they're lying right now. Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespasses of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespasses of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face and they said, behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for am I in a place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. I will provide for you. And he just said, he just repeated the message that he had told them already. I will provide for you. His tears are a sign of the forgiveness that he had in his heart. And in this way, he shrugs off this garment of lies, of messages he even had, he held inside. When he revealed to them and said, here I am, I'm your brother Joseph all this time, he weeps. He has been holding this in for years and years. He's sitting in prison, feeling alone, learning a new language in a new place, alone. And that garment is heavier than ever. Heavier than ever. You are a, you're too arrogant. Nobody's going to bow down to you tricking his father into believing that he was dead by smearing blood on his favorite coat. And all, he's walking through life with this heaviness, but still had this hope in what, in God's hand on his life. And don't worry about it, because what you meant for evil, the Lord has worked it out for good in my life. He is no matter where you have placed me, he has still given me the power to forgive and break free of my past. Why did Jesus give us this message constantly of love your enemies, even forgive those who despitefully use you? 
because it takes the power out of the hands of bitterness and anger and puts it back in a heart that is full of love. See, we all have a story, a family of origin story, and I have one as well. Many times I can say all the things that my parents did wrong and forget all the things they did extremely right, which is to raise me to love Jesus and to persevere with seven children. Woo! I got five, man, and I'm like, seven, that's crazy. These family of origins that are raising us with the best tools that they know how in the best way that they know how. This message of emotional, healthy spirituality shouldn't invite us to call our parents and complain about everything they did wrong. If it does, you're doing it wrong. It should well within us a thankfulness and a gratefulness for where they brought us to. And you are sitting right here, right now, which means that God has still got a plan for you. It's the same way it was with Joseph. He knew I could have easily died in that pit, but I am still here. That means God still has a plan for me. I bear the expectations, the presuppositions of my family of origin, and I bear the expectations, expectations and presuppositions of my race. You see, I can even walk around with the chain mail of expectations or what I'm supposed to do for evil and not for good. And the good and bad are still heavy. Yes, racial um, racism is bad, but so is privilege. They're both these heavy things that weigh us down and don't give us the opportunity to look up and see who Jesus, who God has created us to be. We see through a different lens than Jesus, the Savior, who is weaving together all of history with the expectation that we are going to be whole and together and able to share from the depths of who we are and able to be vulnerable and able to desire and communicate our desires, which is such a hard thing to do because it means you got to put yourself out there. But Joseph is one who put himself out there by saying his dreams and who he was and even one who could forgive, which is mind-blowing. People have done nothing to deserve it. Yet and still, we have this gift that we are really giving to ourselves. Forgiveness is always for us and not for someone else. I heard someone say, I think it was Joyce Meyer, that uh, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting another person to die. But we just 
continue to be eaten alive. Turn to 2 Samuel, please. Joseph is an Old Testament type of Jesus, also in Jesus' line. One of the sons of Jacob, who was also Israel, who got a new name. And so that's where the names of the tribes of Israel came from. I'm like, look, we descended from a very dysfunctional family, all right? The tribes of Israel are very dysfunctional. They're like trying to kill each other and like jealous and all this stuff. And um, I'm glad. Um, I thank God for Jesus, though. <laughs> and in 2 Samuel, um, starting at 2 Samuel 9, starting at verse 6, is the story of Mephibosheth, who um, was the grandson of Saul. And as the grandson of Saul, I think it talks about in um, 2 Samuel 4, Saul and Jonathan were both killed in the same battle. And Saul was just trying to not really be nice to David. That's a nice way to say he was trying to kill him. Wherever he went, he was like hounded by, because David was, seemed to be just so anointed by God. And even when he hid in a cave and even when he was on a mountain, even when he was in a battle, the Lord's hand just seemed to be on him. But yet God seemed to remove his anointing from Saul and this drove Saul to insanely pursue David to the ends of the earth as much as he could. But Saul's, but David's best friend was Saul's son, Jonathan. And they walked together as best friends. Even saying best friends is taking it lightly. He says that he loved Jonathan more than he loved a woman. They were friends to the end. Saul and Jonathan died in the same battle, and Mephibosheth was five years old, and a woman who was taking care of him tried to escape when she heard the news and dropped Mephibosheth, and he became lame, crippled his whole life. Um, his father is dead. His grandfather is dead, and he's lame. He can't work. He can barely feed himself. And his father's seemingly mortal enemy is now on the throne in Israel. He is downcast. He is thrown away. Um... And I think about that life, and I can't help but parallel it to so many people who live in this country, fatherless, seemingly behind from birth, lame. There's a song by Donny Hathaway, and it's called Little Ghetto Boy. Um... And the line from it goes, you already know how rough 
life can be. Because you see so much pain and misery. Little ghetto boy, yeah, your daddy was blown away. He robbed that grocery store, yeah. Do you know that was a sad, sad day? All your young life, you've seen such misery and pain. The world's a cruel place to live, and it ain't gonna change, yeah. You're so young, but you got so far to go. Don't reach and go, say, young man. I'm talking about the ghetto boy. And that song. That story is repeated over and over. And when I see the story of Mephibosheth, I think of that downcast, lame. He doesn't even have a father or a grandfather to speak of. He's your typical fatherless child living in an inner city with no means to pull himself up from that. And David randomly remembers his covenant with Jonathan. So in 2 Samuel 9, start at verse 7, so David said to him, and he calls Mephibosheth to him, his servant Ziba is still around, uh, Saul's servant Ziba, who's also a part of Mephibosheth's household. He's still around. He says, hey, call his grandson to me. I have something I need to tell him. I want to show him kindness for the sake of his father, Jonathan. And in 9 and 7, it says, so David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore you to all the land that saw your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Mephibosheth is not only lame, he's living in a place where his enemy seems to be ruling. He's hiding. He's dreading the day when David will call him to himself because it means it's the day I die. He's wearing also this heavy garment of expectations, of lies that have been placed over him. You're never going to walk. You're never going to be anything. Your dad is dead. Your grandfather is dead. That's a death sentence for him. Yet and still, David says, I remember the covenant that I had with his father. Where is he? Call him to me. And then he bowed himself and said, What it is, your servant, that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? A dead dog. Those messages have made him not even see himself as a human anymore. They made him see himself as less than human. But David says, 
the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You, therefore, and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. For Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Sounds like the last message I preached, but Jesus said, when you prepare a feast, don't invite those who are going to be able to pay you back, but invite the lame, invite the blind, and David could take off the garment, the heavy garment off of Mephibosheth and off of himself by offering forgiveness when no one was even there to ask it. Joseph is pointing towards Jesus with this forgiveness, and David is doing the same thing. He is showing a generosity of restoring his lands and restoring the royal coat to Mephibosheth more than what he had learned to wear, which is the clothes of a dead dog. That's how much these messages had seeped into his very being. That's who he saw himself. But Jesus is still looking back throughout history and saying, I see you. And that's what he says to us today. That he that he takes off these garments. And in our constant invitation to forgive and to not hold things over our parents' heads and not hold things over them teachers who said the wrong things or who are having a bad day and gave me a message that I remember for the rest of my life, it's an opportunity now for us to remove those and put on the coat that is from the Father. This story of David and the line of Jesus makes me walk with expectation and understanding of who he's, of who he's called me to be. Worship team, you want to come on up? In Matthew 6 and 12, right smack in the middle of Jesus, his disciples asking him how they should pray, Jesus says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Then in 14 and 15, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither Will the Father forgive your trespasses? And then in Luke 23 and 34, then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do, 
and they divided his garments and cast lots. There was Jesus looking forward, but looking backwards and summing up how do we how do we move through life with so many things that seem to be haunting and running us down from our past? We do it with the power of forgiveness as we are breaking these chains that are attempting to weigh us down like David going to fight Goliath. And Saul is like, here you go. Here's some armor that doesn't fit. And we can shrug it off and say, no, this is actually who Jesus has made me to be. This is what he's giving me. And every single one of those chains that are being broken off of us, we get to step into because of his broken body. Broken chains because of a broken body. And when Jesus said and meant that it is finished, he's saying you are actually been placed into my family now. All of the things that were left unsaid, that were left undone, that could have been figured out better, they're finished now. And you are in my family. And when you receive my broken body, you must believe that those chains are also broken. And none of those words, none of those messages can follow you into my arms. And I just thank you, Father, today that you have given us such a weapon of forgiveness that allows us to break free from our past by way of your broken body and that you finished it for us. You placed us in your family. So right now, I just break any chains I break any messages that are not from you, Father. In Jesus' name. These are your dearly beloved men and women of God who you have a plan for, who you have placed into another family. So every lie I cancel out in the name of Jesus. And thank you for the broken chains as they fall to the ground now. As they fall and release us into the power and glory of who you are. And as you come to accept communion, I want you to believe by faith those chains are broken because Jesus said it's finished. And he has written you into a new story. <laughs>